Today's reading you can find in your Pew Bible, New Testament, page 66. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Nevertheless, wisdom is vindicated by all her children. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city, who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. That she is a sinner. We have been working through a series called Love Everybody, about how, you know, in the spirit of Christmas, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that God created uh, us as both physical and spiritual, uh, that God redeems us, that God renews us, and yet we often struggle with some physical things about ourselves, and we don't always um, talk about some of those things. And so one of the things that we uh, might not reflect on as much as we should is that each of us in this space, presumably, has a meal every day. That's a struggle for some people as food is not always easily obtainable. But we have to eat as humans. And that's a physical thing, but it's actually bigger than being a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing and a social thing, that there's more going on with eating than just our physical nutrition. And so uh, we are called to, to think about how does our eating, how does our hosting uh, meals uh, relate to our spiritual walk and our faith? And I think that some of us in the room might struggle with this in different kinds of ways. But for many people in the country, I'm just going to talk broadly, uh, it's a challenge to eat meals with people. Like, because our, our country is getting more and more busy and rushed, and, and you're eating on the go, and, and everything is so fast. And, and so eating together around a table, whether that's a family, whether that's friends, it just happens less because we're so, we're so busy. And I think about you know, just to make that concrete of my own life of, okay, we've got, you know, two rambunctious little ones at home, and what is it for their morning routine? Uh, do you actually get up in enough time that the whole family were to sit down and have breakfast together? Uh, let's say that doesn't happen. Let's say that goes out the door and you're getting your granola bar or whatever you can take with you on the move, uh, or that's a drive through lane on the way into work. Uh, and then, like, on a day where I'm in my office most of the day, and I'm typing, and I'm, I'm, I'm maybe I'm reading, I'm sermon planning, whatever it is, I'm in my office, and then I have a decision. Do I want a cheap lunch or a more expensive one? If I want a cheap one, I brought it with me. And I go back to the fridge, I get it out, and I go and I sit by myself. And that whole day then passes, and you were by yourself quite a bit. Or you go out and you spend a little bit of money just to be around some other people and to see people and to kind of experience the outside world. Either way, um, you might be around some people, but maybe you don't feel like you're actually eating a meal with them. Next thing you know, it's, it's getting later and you've got to rush home. 
and you've got you know a toddler who is like, I need food now. I want snacks, snacks, snacks. And you're like, well, we'd like to have a real dinner. And then the baby doesn't care one way or the other. She just needs her bottle, and now we're trying to get some solids, and that's its own fun challenge. But you're trying to do all these things, and then it's just kind of like managing it. And the day's over, and yeah, you ate throughout the day, but you're like, I never really took the time to sit down and enjoy a meal and a conversation with anybody. And, and we struggle with having these opportunities, in part because for some younger people, they feel like it's an image of something that, that, that doesn't exist anymore, of like, oh, that's something that if you have a lot of money, you can go do, like to have the ability to have this nice meal together. Um, because, you know, no one's staying at home and making this giant meal while other people are working and having this great meal ready for you. Like, that life isn't there in the same way. And so some people feel like that idyllic mealtime just doesn't exist. Um, but I think for the most part, we just let ourselves be so busy that we don't have those opportunities. Uh, and so we struggle with that, even though we know it would be good for us. We know that it's more nutritious. Like when you actually think about what meal you're going to have and you prepare something, you end up having more varieties of food. You have more options, and, and especially for little kids. I can tell you if we go through drive through our three-year-old's going to have chicken nuggets and french fries because there's nothing else on that menu, I think. But at least at home, there's some other options. But like when you go out, it ends up narrowing it down. Um, but when you have this kind of communal meal, people eat different kinds of foods that are healthy for them. Um, there's also a lot of learning that happens around a table. There's a study about how often, like how many words kids learn at a dinner table. That like a book, you could be reading books with your kids and they'll pick up a certain amount of distinct new words. But that the dinner table brings a whole lot of new vocabulary that you don't think about, you're just, it's natural everyday life conversation happening and you're picking up new language, you're learning. Uh, and it's social learning. You're learning how to have better well-being. There's so many studies about teenagers who um, are able to have a meal with, with people that they are much less likely to do at-risk behaviors. Um, they're much more likely to be able to bounce back from things like bullying, um, that their whole, whole mental health is better just by sitting down and having a safe place to have a conversation and eat together. And so we know that that's the case. Like, you can go look at research, and we kind of in our heads know it, but yet we struggle to do that. And I want to point out that last week we talked about how, um, we talked about eunuchs and that everybody's invited and everybody's welcome, and that the good news of baptism was for the eunuchs as well, not just for uh, people that kind of fit the norms. And you might think, okay, well, we've included them, that's great. But there's more to life than just saying, okay, this person's a part of my community. Like, it's a bigger ask, it's a bigger, like, requirement to live life with someone. Like, to actually invite them into your table, to actually invite them into everyday life. Not just say, okay, in my head, yeah, you're a part of my community, but I want to show that by living life alongside you and bringing you in to my everyday life. And you... Uh, might not recall that in Acts, we were reading that last week, a few chapters later, uh, Peter has this big incident where he realizes that Gentiles are included in God's kingdom. So it wasn't just for Jewish people, but also all people were invited into the good news. And so he goes to this guy Cornelius's house, 
He preaches good news. They ask for baptism, and a lot like the eunuch story, like, yeah, baptism. And the next chapter, some people are unhappy about that. And I just want to call out what they're unhappy about. It says, now the apostles and believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Isn't that funny? Out of all things to be mad about, you're like, okay, you preach the good news, you baptize them into the community, and Peter shows up and you're like, how dare you? You ate with them? But there's something about eating with people that feels like it's actually being fully included into your life and into the community. Uh, there's a reason that when people uh, were living out their racism, that they said you couldn't eat with people, that diners had to be exclusive, you know, ex- separating people. Uh, what's so dangerous about having a meal together? There actually is something dangerous. You actually connect with people, you actually grow together. And so they're, they're upset that Peter would even eat with people. And so that brings us to the text that we read today, where some religious leaders are upset about the way that John the Baptist or Jesus were eating. And it might feel strange. Why do you care about eating so much? But they're really upset, and they say that John the Baptist, you know, they didn't like John the Baptist, they didn't like Jesus. And I love how Jesus talks about that. He says, For John the Baptist came eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you said he had a demon. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Nevertheless, wisdom is vindicated by all her children. So Jesus points this picture out to these religious leaders. John the Baptist came and he didn't eat with anybody. I came and I'm eating with everybody and you, you don't like either of us. Is it really about the eating or what's going on here? And I love that because it's not about what they eat, but John the Baptist is out in the wilderness. He's separated from society. He's left the city and he's preaching repentance and that you should change your ways and that, uh, and that God's judgment is coming. And so he's excluding people from the table. He's saying, unless you repent and change like this, this little bubble of us is small. And the religious leaders don't like that they're not invited to this table. Like, what do you mean I'm not an insider? Of course I'm an insider. And John is saying, no, you're not. You've got to change. And yet Jesus shows up in the scene and he's saying, everybody is welcome to the table. You're invited. I'm like, well, I don't like that either because you're, you're inviting me now, but you're, not, but you're also inviting those people. I only want my invite if I'm actually more of a VIP. And so they don't like either route, whether you're excluding people or you're including everybody. This meal invitation uh, is a sticking point. And I love that Luke has this saying and then actually just gives us an example story. So you want to see Jesus actually inviting everybody to the table and kind of how he deals with people around meals. Here's a story for you. And so we have a story about him going to have a meal with Simon the Pharisee. It said that one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Now, table is probably like this low, low table where you're probably like kind of kneeling next to it and sitting by it. And you're at this table, and, and there's certain expectations about what should happen at this meal. Um, probably you should have gotten an invite. It's always good to get an invite. And knowing how wilderness desert life is like on sandaled feet, there's usually some sort of bowl of water when you come in to like be able to wash your feet. 
Or if this, this, this family has more money, then they have a servant helping wash your feet when you enter. Um, if you have a special kind of extravagance, maybe they're anointing your head with oil. Maybe they're kissing your, your hand or your cheek, like embracing you and excited that you're there. There's a certain kind of hospitality that's assumed uh, to welcome your guests to the party. And one of the things you're supposed to do is to defend the honor of your guests. Like if people show up and you've invited them, you shouldn't be ridiculing them. That kind of sounds obvious. Uh, that seems unfair to invite someone over just to then shame them in front of other people. And so in this story, we've got this, this Simon inviting Jesus over. And then this new thing happens in the story that's not expected. And instead of defending Jesus' honor, he's going to question it. And so what happens? There's this woman who the text just says a sinful woman. We don't get the preciseness of what that sin might be. You can fill it in with whatever you'd like, and I think that's part of the point. Uh, but this woman who, sh- who hears that Jesus is at this dinner party, in today's world they saw Twitter news, oh my goodness, do you see what's down the street? And they're running to find out what's happening. Somehow she finds out Jesus is at this house, and she's made her way up to this house. The door systems and stuff are not the same as what we do, but you can just kind of enter in. And if you're seated at a table and you're kind of, kind of your legs sticked out behind you, She's come up behind and she's by his feet while he's at the table. And she's got this jar of ointment and she's weeping and she's crying and she's on his feet and she's kissing his feet. And this man, Simon, is like, what on earth is happening here? You know what? Is Jesus actually a prophet? That's what he's thinking. He's like, if he was a prophet, he'd know who this person was. He would say, get out of here, get away from me, don't do that. But he must not be a prophet. He doesn't understand who's there beside him. And that invites Jesus to uh, turn the tables on him. Uh, It's never a good moment in the story if Jesus is about to turn the tables on you. He's like, oh, you think that this woman is in the wrong. What kind of host are you? Instead of, uh, instead of just kind of being gentle about it, he's just like, wait, where's the stuff you were supposed to give to your guests? Where was my feet washing? Where, where was the oil for anointment? Where were the kisses? Like, you haven't welcomed me. And yet here's this woman who welcomes me in the way that she can, who, who blesses me. And so here's this woman who um, washes, not with water, she doesn't have any, but with her tears. And she doesn't have a towel, but she can dry her, your feet with, with her hair. And she doesn't even think herself worthy maybe of kissing the cheek or the hand and so kissing the feet. But like, she welcomed me, and what were you doing? You were just questioning me. Who's the host? Who's the good host in this story? And he asked him, why do you think she is the good host here? Why do you think she's motivated and you're not? And he tells a story about When you know that you have been forgiven of much, you are thankful, you are loving, you are grateful, and you are serving. But if you feel like you're kind of self-righteous, you deserve everything that you have, you start giving people the little side eye. Can you believe that woman over there? Instead of actually being a servant and being grateful and, and loving those who are in your midst. And so the woman is the good host in the story. And Simon who has the wealth, who has the house, who has the invite list, 
actually turns out to be the bad host. And I know that we all struggle with being hosts in our own lives. I talked about that earlier. We, how often do we share a meal with people? Um, and it's not just share a meal with people. Maybe you have someone that you always eat with, but how often are we extending that invite to other people? That we're bringing other people to the table, people who feel disconnected, who feel left out. Um, who are we inviting to our tables with us? How much are we thankful for? Because that's part of what's happening. If we're thankful for the food we have, we're thankful that we are uh, in God's kingdom, we're going to show that with love, with extending out God's goodness to everybody in our lives. And so are we the, the hosts that invite people? Uh, or are people just kind of having to overhear it? Are they showing up in their own way and it, and it frustrates us? But who are we inviting into daily life with us? Um, also, it's not good to be a, like a hostage person. Like, you're inviting people. You don't force them to be the way that you want them to be when they show up. You know, when the sinful woman shows up, you don't get to just say, uh, you're not good enough to be at my party but to actually be welcoming however someone enters into your, your presence and into your place. But we need to eat with people who see the world differently, who have different experiences, uh, who broaden the way that we see the world. And every meal that we have is an opportunity to share life with somebody, to hear their story, to share our own story with somebody else. And so one of the things that I think gets in the way of us doing that um, because we all might think, oh, it'd be interesting to have a dinner with this person and get to know them. But sometimes we let what we have get in the way. Think, like, oh, you know, it's going to be really expensive if I do this or that. Or, you know, and so we, we let the logistics get in our way. But, you know, like a grilled cheese sandwich on a rainy day is just as a treat of, of a thing as a big, giant three-course meal. That this woman who, who just has her hair as a towel and her tears as water uh, was good enough to be a good host. And so can we like lay aside whatever expectations we have of like, this is what we have to have to really have a good meal together. Can we just take the time to actually just sit uh, and, and have a meal? And so we don't just have the opportunity just individually. Um, though I do want to point out before I get into how we as the church invite people into that meal, you have a whole lot more meals to your life beyond just the time that you're here in this building, in this place. And so the best way to spread good news, to share life with people, is beyond just the hour or two on a Sunday morning that you're here. Um, so never discount how important the meals throughout the week are. That being the case, it's also important how we host people as the church. Because it's a sign of how thankful we are, of how loving we are, of how forgiven we are, by how well we host God's, God's banquets, God's parties. And so how often are we thinking about those who are on the outside, those who, who are labeled as the sinful woman? Uh, are we thinking about their own experience of that, of that meal, of that party, of that, of that worship time? Are we inviting people? You know, if, if, if this is something of value, if this is life-giving, who are we inviting and I think we have to be careful not to be lulled to sleep because it's easy to be Simon, the, the Pharisee in the story, and just take everything for granted and no longer invite people, no longer host people, no longer welcome people in all the ways that we can. I want to share with you 
um, a few things that I, that I got a few weeks back, and I gave it to our, our board last week. Uh, the new executive minister for American Baptists of Michigan, who's going to be starting in March, he had a little like newsletter thing that went out in the kind of the weekly thing that went out a few weeks back, and it was about 11 ways to be hospitable as a church. And I always find that sometimes it helps to hear from other people on the outside of like, oh yeah, okay, even if I know this, I need to hear it. And so I've kind of narrowed some of them down um, for the sake of time. Uh, but here's some of the things that he mentioned. One of them is uh, even before people have arrived, that helping guests feel welcome online. Some of that's us on our website, and some of that's just social media. Of like, if you have a Facebook, if you ever say, uh, share a photo or write a comment about how church is affecting your life, that is helping somebody experience the place before they've shown up. Um, but so many people experience things online before they're even in the door. It talks about addressing guests from the stage. It's a little bit why every week we talk about why do we do this prayer time the way we do the prayer time? Or why do we uh, do communion the way that we do communion, of talking about those things so everyone feels invited? Uh, one of the things that he said was sit in the middle of the row of seats, which I think for us also translates in so a few ways, but one thing is if you're sitting on the edge, it does make it hard for someone to sit next to you. So if you're feeling lonely and you're like, man, I wish someone would sit next to me, one good thing is to kind of slide towards the middle and see if somebody sits next to you. But just, you don't know what someone's going through in the week. Someone might feel so alone they might be grieving over a loved one who's passed. They might be thinking about um, who knows what kind of pain. And this might be a space where they feel like they can connect and we should spend time with each other. Like, be close. Go find someone to sit by and go make them feel welcome, make them feel um, like they, that you're excited to see them. Um, he had on there put words on the screen. That's what we kind of do here with the, putting words in the bulletin of that somebody can easily follow through the service. They know what's coming and what's going. He says, invite your congregation to share your sermons online. If you're listening on, online, hello. Provide an example of Sunday school lessons for kids. Parents really care about the safety of their kids and what's gonna happen of how do I help make sure that a parent feels comfortable bringing their kid. How about this? this is something that we often overlook. Clean the bathrooms. That you can tell a lot about a place of like, man, this bathroom is awful. But are you caring so much about someone's experience that you're not overlooking these little things in life? Um, he also talked about creating a clear connection desk of where's the easy spot where I know I can find out more information, I can connect, I can, all of that. And so uh, those are just some of the things. But there's a lot of ways in which it matters about being a good host where we say, hey, we realize... Um, that we don't deserve all of the blessings that God has given us, and yet God has been good, and we are thankful, and we are loving, and we want to extend that love as best we can. We are so glad that you're here. We want you to feel that love just as we felt it. And I want to just list one more thing that he didn't have on there. I would add, a welcoming community eats together. And we do that a little bit in a little small sample size with some donuts after the service. Please join us for that. Um, but there's more times than just that. And, and after church, maybe it's going to get lunch together um, because we don't know, you know, you don't know if somebody's feeling that loneliness that they could use 
being connected a little bit more. Um, and it's an opportunity to learn about each other's lives and what's going on with each other beyond just um, what you might hear uh, while you're in this space. But are we eating together? Uh, when we're in our fellowship hall, do you go sit with somebody that you don't normally sit with? Do you go meet some people that you don't normally you know, spend all of your time with? How are we making more people feel like they're connected and welcome? Um, and how do we have our mealtimes be uh, easier on our guests? Um, that's one of the things which we did a little bit this last year, but if you go anywhere in today's world, for, especially for younger families, you want to know what you're eating. It's just a thing. Uh, because people have allergies, people have whatever, you know, and, and people are afraid of like, I don't know if I can eat that or not. And so when we have meals to be able to have little signs that say, this is what my food is. And it includes this, this, and that in case, like if you know, like it has nuts in it or something, you know? But it's those little signs that say, I see you, I love you, I, I hope that you're invited into this meal with me. Uh, I don't want you taking in fear. Um, and you don't need to bring anything with you to enjoy in this feast. Uh, we have provided the whole thing for you. Come and eat with us. And that is a way that we break down some of our dividing walls and get to know each other and transform something that we could just be doing by ourselves just a little bit of nutrition, and turning that into a spiritual time to get to know each other and to, to be thankful to God. We have a special ability to do that today because it's a communion Sunday, which means we are also being invited to God's table in a very symbolic, a bigger picture way, that God offers this table to us, and we don't get to kind of give that little sneering look at like, oh, they're taking communion, like, I that sinful person over there. But this table was offered uh, up to all, and, and whoever seeks to follow after Christ is invited to this table. And that the great divine host that welcomes us all hopefully inspires us to be welcoming to everybody throughout our week. And so we'll talk a little bit more about communion in a minute. But I just hope that this communion time that we get to in just a minute will be a time that we can really reflect on the way that God invites us to a table. May we also invite others to our tables as well. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you uh, for your blessing, for your, your goodness. Lord, for those in the room who, uh, who feel alone and disconnected, we ask that you would bring um, community that your presence would be felt, and that your presence would also be felt through us, that individuals would take time to get to know each other and spend time with each other. Lord, we, we praise you that uh, even when it feels like there's not enough that you provide, and Lord, for everyone who feels like uh, the next meal is uncertain, we pray that your, your blessings and your food might extend even further. Lord, we ask that you would create a hunger in us, that we wouldn't be complacent, that we wouldn't forget all that we've been forgiven of and all that you call us to be. Lord, let us hunger for you. It's in your name that we pray.